Today on Well Not Perfect, I sit down with Katie Wax. She is a licensed clinical psychologist and the owner of Lincoln Park Psychology. Her passion is to affect others and make meaningful changes. She is an extraordinary therapist and leader in the field of psychology for postdoctorate students around the Chicagoland area. Listen in as she explains the power of boundary setting. Part of the goal of setting boundaries is to hope to, to be treated a certain way. But part of setting boundaries is just kind of flipping the script on how we feel about ourselves. I think when we don't speak up or when we don't talk about our own expectations for how we should be treated, we're communicating to ourselves that we're not as important. And so sometimes setting boundaries is just a matter of speaking to ourselves. In today's episode, you will learn how to set boundaries with others and within yourself, why it's important to stay non-judgmental during the holiday season, and how to go from a negative thought pattern to a productive and healthy reframe for all of those difficult thoughts. Welcome to this special episode on Well Not Perfect, right before the holiday season. Thank you, Katie, for coming on the show today. I heard you on a other podcast and I really admired some of the things that you had been sharing about the importance of student mental health during this post-pandemic um, not post pandemic, but I would say one year <laughs> out of 2020, um, into 2021. So I appreciated a lot of your wisdom and I thought you would be the perfect guest to have on the show today to talk about boundaries and setting them during the holiday season. And, you know, boundaries are obviously a very diverse, complex topic, and there's not one way to think about it or one way to set the boundaries. Mm -hmm. So in general, when you have clients coming to you in your office and they're struggling with the uh, holiday season and sitting around with family and just really coping with some of the family stressors that we typically see, where do you first start when you talk to a client about boundaries? That's a great question. So actually, interestingly enough, I think a lot of times people are not direct about, I need to set boundaries with X. It's like something that we end up identifying together. Usually it comes up because they're identifying something like that they're nervous about some anxiety that's coming up for them that they want to prepare for. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I've been having a lot of these conversations recently over people who are having this anxiety over certain, you know, get togethers and gatherings with family, and it can be their own family. It could be their spouse's family, um, et cetera. And I think usually when those things come up, that's when we start to notice, okay, wait a second. So, so you haven't really set an expectation for how you want this to go. You know, so in our heads, we tend to have these expectations or these thoughts about, you know, how we don't want things to go, but we don't necessarily sit around and go, well, wait a second, this is actually how I want this to go, or this is how I want to be treated, or this is how I expect the conversation to flow, you know, when we're here. Um, so it, I wouldn't say people necessarily bring it up as like, Hey, I need to set some boundaries. Usually we're working on some anxiety thing. And then we talk about like, okay, so we haven't actually gone through the steps of deciding how to do this yet. And that's how it gets brought up. Got it. So there's, it comes out of like concern, complaint, worry, a yeah. lot of the more focus on the negative expectations or negative outcomes and not necessarily thinking about this is my ideal situation. This is how I would like it to go. Mm -hmm. So shifting your client's attention from the negative into more of the positive, which is what are the outcomes that you wish or desire to see and how do we get those to happen? Mm -hmm. And then the prescription of that is boundaries right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, boundaries and not even, I think sometimes people think of setting boundaries as something that you say, and sometimes it's not even what you say. Sometimes it's 
it's nonverbals, you know, sometimes it's body posture. Sometimes it's deciding when you engage and when you don't engage, sometimes it's deciding when you leave, you know, I mean, so, um, so I think a lot of those things are just because of the anxiety and the nervousness that happens, people want to plan for how do I deal with this instead of, you know, let's decide now what I expect so that I can just go into it with that attitude ahead of time, you know, which then eases a lot of things. Yeah. And do you think that the expectation is, you know, trying to do reasonable expectations? Like you have reasonable expectations that an in-law or a parent may not agree with the way that you want the holiday to go. Um, so do you work with clients on, is it called lowering expectations? Is it called reframing kind of what you think is going to happen? Like, how do you help them when it may not be feasible to ask that person to make changes that would be like the most desired outcome? Yeah. I think that that, I think that that plays into kind of like the steps of, of setting what those boundaries are going to look like, because there has to be a realization that we don't have control over people and that people are people and we can set all the boundaries in the world and somebody might not pay attention to them. Um, so I think that there is a little bit of reframing, but also a lot of flexibility. So we don't just work on, here's how we're going to identify what it is you need, how to be able to communicate that but we also deal with how are we resilient when people don't pay attention to that, right? And I also think that there's this, um, yes, part of the goal of setting boundaries is to hope to, to be treated a certain way or, you know, that your expectations are met. But part of setting boundaries is just kind of flipping the script on how we feel about ourselves. I think when we don't speak up or when we don't talk about our own expectations for how we should be treated, we're communicating to ourselves that we're not as important, right? And so sometimes setting boundaries is just a matter of, speaking to ourselves, not even necessarily to somebody else or to change somebody else's behavior. So there's a bunch of different layers. I think that we kind of like dissect as we go through it, you know, my clients and I over the course of the holidays. I like that. So there's like boundary setting, like we call it intra, which is like a relationship with yourself. So there's an intra boundary I N T R a, and then there's a boundary with others, which is, which is inter I N T E R inter boundaries. And the reason why I say it and spell it, because when we really focus on that for a few minutes and dissect what that means, and that there is a difference between the two of them, I believe there's more power and control that we feel good about because then we feel like we have options. Mm -hmm. I can set boundaries with myself, which is what time do I leave? Mm -hmm. I always have my ability to leave and walk away. That's an intra boundary. And then an inter boundary would be asking someone to not talk about something that is not making you comfortable or is your business, not somebody else's business. Mm -hmm. Um, an example that I'm thinking of just off of the top of my head is when you have a family member, a parent or a sister or an aunt who says something about someone's weight. Oh, you've lost weight. You've gained weight. Something about the body shapes and sizes that always comes up during holidays. And I'm thinking about how the inter boundary could be one way and an intra boundary could be another way. Have you worked with clients and have you sort of helped them navigate those body image conversations at holiday dinners or meals? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think bigger category is more just like judgment, you know, 
So um, yeah, we have the conversations about the way that people look for sure. We also have conversations about uh, people uh, making comments on what you're eating, whether or not it has anything to do with your weight or how you look, but you know, what you're actually putting in your mouth, how much you're putting in your mouth. Same thing with people commenting. I mean, I know so many married couples who get the, you know, when are you having kids? Why are you not having kids? You know? Um, so I think that there's, I, and I think those are, you know, unintentional judgment statements, right? I mean, a lot of the times I think people are saying things I like to believe that people are typically saying things, family members are saying things because they care and they worry about family members. It's just that it's misguided. Sometimes it is aggressive, you know, so there's a difference and whether or not it still feels bad. So yeah, we talk about those things a lot and kind of how to set the stage for those things. Sometimes there's a conversation about setting the stage before you get to the holiday celebration. And sometimes we talk about how to do it in the moment. Yeah, because if you're assuming the best, that someone has good intentions, that they're not being angry or rude, then I think you do have a better chance of using the situation to improve the way that you set boundaries or improve the way that you cope with it. Because if you assume that everyone's malicious and out to get you, then of course it's going to be twice as hard to overcome. So we can say that nine times out of 10, it's a sideways comment that is a lack of awareness, a lack of education, a lack of current political, social (laughs) standards, you know, maybe, maybe 70, 80 year old aunt doesn't understand what, you know, health at every size looks like or body positivity or anything like that. So, um, if we give people the benefit of the doubt, then we're probably nine times out of 10 dealing with something that we have to kind of reframe for ourselves, like reframe that thought such as she doesn't mean harm towards me. She doesn't know better, or this is not the time or place to address this. And I can address this tomorrow by text message or a phone call. So really just trying to like set the boundaries for yourself for how to cope with the people who are not poor intentioned. And then the people who are poor intentioned, obviously you need firmer, stronger boundaries, um, right out the gate. So I think there's like a spectrum mm-hmm. of boundary setting yeah. that would typically be good between yeah. like hard all the way to soft. Yeah. And I like your point about also, you know, if, if it's not the moment to do it now, that doesn't mean you, you don't do it. You just might not do it now. Right. So circling back later, being able to being able to have that conversation later, I think can accomplish somewhat of the same, you know, somewhat of the same goal. Um, but I totally agree with you. I think it's much easier when you have, you know, for lack of a, you know, better stereotype, you've got grandma who maybe is, you know, a little bit, uh, losing a little bit of tact in the way that she's speaking or something like that. I think a lot of times it's much easier for people to just kind of brush things off when there's that type of situation versus your aunt who, you know, is very health conscious and, you know, juices every morning or whatever it is. And then kind of you're, you're ready for it. When you get there, you're ready for like the pinching of your side or whatever it is that that aunt thinks is cute but is really, you know, really disruptive. So I think that, I think it's much easier to let things slide when there's some sort of a lens that you can see it through that makes sense. But if we can think about it in terms of not being personal, but being more about the other person, which is a huge part of the boundary setting too, is being able to differentiate what's your stuff from what somebody else's stuff, you know, which is a a whole other, we could do a whole other podcast on that. But I mean, that, you know, that's a big part of the boundaries too. Exactly. Like what is her body insecurity and why is she projecting that onto everybody? And what is my body insecurity that I'm like absorbing hers and how do I kind of 
create a little bit of a permeable or semi-permeable kind of boundary around myself so that this person can't just automatically come in and and absorb her issues that they actually can bounce off me and then go back to her. Mm -hmm. Um, something that just came to my mind as you're talking too, because I can relate to to all of this, you know, going into Thanksgiving, going into Christmas, I'm seeing myself in a hundred different dynamics right now. And what I'm thinking in my mind is there are people who make comments to me or around me, not about me. Maybe they make a comment about someone else, but Mm -hmm. obviously you think, well, what do they say about me when I'm out of the room? Right. And I think, you know, some people make comments and I still feel emotionally, physically safe. I don't feel physically or emotionally threatened by them. So it's easier to kind of roll my eyes and let it roll, but it's the people who I don't feel safe with emotionally that when they say something, it just like is a dagger and they may not be saying it about me. They could be saying it about anyone else, but it feels so unsafe and it feels really uncomfortable for really of a lack of a better term. And I'm thinking too, like we need to have a radar for ourselves and think, okay, is this a boundary break because I feel unsafe with them emotionally, or is this a boundary break? And I'm just like rolling my eyes and I can move on. So I think too, there's like this self-awareness that we need to know when there's a deeper issue happening where we feel unsafe with that person. And then honoring that, because I think a lot of people and a lot of women like ignore that. And they think that they're being dramatic because you technically are physically safe with the person in the room. Right. But that emotional safety is harder to validate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think some of the, some of the exercises that go along with that are being able to kind of compare, right. But the same comment comes from two different people in the room. How do you react differently? Right. And then kind of a little bit of dissecting. I mean, if you have time, a lot of these things don't come up until right before the holidays are going to happen, but being able to kind of dissect a little bit of why that is so threatening from one person versus the other person. And again, it might just be because there's an understanding of this person actually means this as an aggressive move versus the other person doesn't. So I think our res- that's where the resiliency building comes in a little bit of like, how are you going to be able to manage that internally? And do you want to manage that out loud? Or do you think that that's not appropriate? Some people are really terrified of setting boundaries out loud because they're afraid they're going to look bad or they're afraid they're going to you know explode or they're not going to be able to handle it the right way or they're just opening themselves up for more conflict and they'd rather just sit there and handle it um, quietly internally which we work on too. I mean, I also don't want to project on the people that, you know, you, that everybody has to verbal, you know, I mean, you don't have to, if it's completely threatening to you and it's not comfortable, you are not required to sit there and go head to head with somebody in these conversations. That's also, again, setting that internal boundary with yourself. How much am I, how much energy am I going to put into this versus how much am I not going to put into it? Um, And what can I manage internally versus externally based on my comfort level? Because I think we kind of put people, especially boundaries right now, they're such a buzzword. It's such a like, you know, you know, self-care boundary setting with people. So I think that I don't want there to become this kind of societal view that we all have to fit in this box of being able to verbalize ourselves in exactly the perfect way every time something happens. And sometimes some people are just not going to want to do that. And it's just not in their personality. But if that's the case, then we have to learn how to differentiate ourselves from others and manage it internally instead of out loud. Do you think that when you learn which battles to kind of go after and which, which battles to kind of back out of that, then people struggle to 
come back around to that person? Or is there times where like, if you can't address that person over and over and over again, the relationship has to change. Right. I mean, do you, do you see that eventually the relationship changes between the person who doesn't feel comfortable speaking up and the person that continues to kind of break the boundary? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think best practice for people, if you want to keep that relationship, right. I mean, so, so sometimes, sometimes it's a mixed bag. It's like, you really want this relationship, but you know that this relationship also kind of hurts you, right. It, it hurts your feelings. And then there are relationships where people are like, I don't really care. I only see this person once a year at Thanksgiving or, you know, or whatever. So it's not that big of a deal, but for the time being, if you want the relationship, then I typically encouraging people to have conversations, even though they're uncomfortable about what they expect, because there is a fairness here a little bit too, right. Um, in letting somebody else know, instead of just backing away from a relationship or deciding something is toxic, but you haven't really let that person know why you're feeling that way, you know? Um, so we can't have expectations that people are just going to get it. You know, I think, I think it's, I think it's appropriate to, to give people a heads up. Yeah. I like that. If you want to keep the relationship, then at some point you need to learn the communication skills to address it because it's not going to get better if no one talks about it. And if it's a relationship that you don't want or need, then it can slowly fizzle out because it's like a once a year sort of thing where you're not going to spend your day to days worrying about it. And the internal conflict. And I think a little bit of the ambiguity comes from when, like you said, you want the relationship and it hurts your feelings Mm -hmm. and holding the line between those two things is I think where I spend probably the most time with someone, if it's a reoccurring issue, because there's a lot of ambivalence that comes with, do I want this? Do I not? What are the pros and cons to having it or to losing it? Mm -hmm. And that can take weeks or years to really navigate. I mean, that's a different type of boundary setting when we're talking about something beyond the holidays Mm -hmm. that is long-term relationship stuff. And probably with, I would assume, you know, more direct, closer family relationships than like the second cousin sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I mean, there's so many layers to that. That isn't just speak up for yourself, but why are you not speaking up for yourself? How does this person affect you? Have you even identified how you want to be treated? I mean, some people don't, people identify how they don't want to be treated, but I actually think you get a better result from being able to verbalize or explain yourself to people in terms of like, here's how I want our relationship to be. Here's how I, I want to feel when I'm around you, not, I don't want to feel this way when I'm around you. That doesn't really give people direction, you know, on where to go. It just lets them know that they're making you uncomfortable, which people resist, right? They get defensive to that. Nobody wants to think that they're bad or mean or making you feel bad, you know? So yeah. So usually I think it, like you said, it's a long-term process. Let's first identify what you do expect from somebody. You know, how do you want to be in this relationship? How do you want this to look? Not what do you want to stop, you know? Right. Right. And there's two kind of steps that I take when I'm talking about this stuff that one is, is this person right now capable of giving you what you want or need? And if they're not capable because they've never shown it to you, then that's when the boundaries need to change. The expectations need to be lowered and you have to take control of as much as you can. If that person is capable of giving you what you want or need, then that's green light to go talk to them. Um, and I pull that from DBT when it talks about like interpersonal effectiveness is can this person give you what you want or need? And then if yes, proceed, if no, 
you know, come back around to yourself. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing comes from radical acceptance is in this moment, they cannot give me what I want or need. And in the future they might. Mm -hmm. So you kind of surrender to the idea that they're never going to give it to you because you don't know that for a fact, but in the moment to moment, you continue to radically accept that this person's not able and you still hold hope for the future that they can someday. I've noticed a lot, especially with like families in the political divide right now, that's what's happened to families is, are they left or they right? Are they Democrat or Republican or, you know, all of the political um, conflict that has just like, I've seen escalate through the roof the last, mm -hmm. um, you know, three to five years. So one of the things that I talk about a lot is surrendering and letting go of this person's letting go of your need, your desire to make them believe what you believe or mm -hmm. get them to see your opinion. You know, all these things that we like really want and deeply, we just want connection. We want this person to connect with what we think and feel and believe mm -hmm. we don't most of the time, unless we're politicians, we're not actually fighting about the political issues. We're fighting for connection with someone who we love, but then the idea of like letting go and surrendering to like a new beginning is what kind of relationship can you form with them? That is not based in, um, this black and white thinking. Is there a relationship? Can you guys talk about sea turtles? Can you guys talk about, <laughs> you know, anything like, is there anything that you can talk about so that you surrender the old relationship? Because as children, like my, you know, people, my age in their thirties and forties, as you get older, you're going to have different beliefs than your parents. Mm -hmm. And that can drive a wedge between you two, or you can let go of the past relationships that you wished and desired a connection. That was like on deep issues. And then like create a new beginning that's based in different, fresh, maybe lighter conversations because like forcing that connection over intense issues are probably not the way to go. Is personal growth something that you've always been interested in, but you haven't really known where to start? If your answer is yes, then I wrote an entire planner series with you in mind. This planner series is broken down into five steps that are focused on helping you become more resilient and confident. Each step includes pages of insight and skills from my personal and professional experiences and ends with 30 days of space for you to practice what you've learned. It's as simple as that. Five steps towards growth and resilience. Learn more at www.buplanner.com. And be sure to check out the subscription option, which gets you a planner delivered to your door every month for the next five months. Since you're a well, not perfect listener, you can get 10% off your order using code. Well, not perfect. Happy growing. In your opinion, why do you think it's so hard for people to push past disagreements and move forward? And I know I'm changing topics a little bit and I don't mean to, but I just feel like going into Thanksgiving, a lot of people are still fighting political opinions about vaccine, for example, yeah. or mask yeah. mandates, for example. Yeah. I think, I think that what tends to happen is there's a lot of weight put on family. Well, depending on the family that you're with or that you're coming from. But I think, I think as like, especially with adult children, because we're also talking about generational differences, right? Not, not, I don't want to stereotype and say all generations have a different opinion on X, Y, and Z, but sometimes that's part of the, the thing. And you brought up, you know, adult children, right? Being at, um, being at Thanksgiving, being at a holiday 
situation and feeling like, for example, they have to convince their dad something about vaccines, COVID, trans, whatever, right? And that that's a big conversation and you want to make people see it your way. And I get that because I also think that there's a big push for upstanding right now, right? Not just sitting there and being a bystander, but changing the narrative and all of those things, which I think is, I think is noble and I think is great. And I, I'm, I'm totally um, on course and believe in that. But I think what tends to happen is we, it's hard to let go of like our, our, our expectations and our thoughts about our parents or about people we used to look up to or about people who are role models for us. And when we start to hit adulthood and we start to kind of, we start to learn, right? We're different from our parents. I think that's a hard break. I work with a lot of 20 somethings and that is a very hard break to all of a sudden realize, especially as parents get older, et cetera, um, that your belief systems are different, your values are different. I think people tend to define that as how can they be different we're from the same place. My family is supposed to believe the same thing. We're supposed to be good. And then there's this thought that because something, somebody believes something, we forget other parts of them, right? We forget what are their other strengths or what are the values that you do share? And like you said, can we just have like a common conversation about how we want to save the sea turtles? I mean, who doesn't want to save sea turtles? It seems like a really easy conversation to have, right? But can you find things that are, that are like-minded? Can you, can you see that person for who they are as a person? And a lot of times we take these viewpoints and we make them this all encompassing definition of this human, right? If you don't believe in vaccinations, you're bad, or you don't care about other people, or, you know, there's all of these big identity statements that come with those things. And I think we try to defend against that in our family and say, you're not that way. Let me teach you how to be this other way. When in fact, we just need to separate what's on the surface, which is this conversation, right? This conversation with this person is kind of a surface level conversation. We're talking about two different opinions, but can I also see where this opinion might not define this other human, right? This is an opinion and a belief system. And, and can I find other things about this person that I really love? Or, you know, um, is this person's belief system out of maybe the same type of goal as the goal that I have. It's just that we're on different courses, you know, things like that. And I think, but I think that that's incredibly difficult because you see somebody and you go, I'm supposed to love you and we're supposed to be the same. And right now you are showing me that you are one of quote unquote, those people. Cause we put everybody into these categories, right. As opposed to being able to see them as dynamic people. Like you're still my dad who is smart and kind and loving and caring and adoring and takes care of people and is thoughtful and strong but you have this opinion that's so different from me, but can both of those things still exist, you know, and see yeah. them that way. Sorry, I know that yeah. was a lot of rambling, but like, it's, it's very super complex, this whole identity well, thing. Well, no, cause I actually, when you were talking about the identity and the need to put people into categories and needing to kind of like define who they are, it reminds me of the reason why we judge in the first place, which I was trained on dbt and it talks a lot about how we categorize to control and to understand things but then when we take it to a point where it's hurtful or harmful it becomes judgmental in the context that we understand it so our brains like to categorize that's been proven through a lot of different interesting research just how mammals in general like homogeny they like similarities. They like categorizing they like organizing right our brains are automatically trying to organize that's mm -hmm. what what we do developmentally through mm -hmm. adulthood from the time we were born, but then it's taken to this extreme, which is, well, if you are anti-vax, then it means 
all these other things about you. Mm -hmm. Or if you were pro-vax, it means all these things about you. Mm -hmm. And when you think about it non-emotionally, that's so silly and insane to think that your choice about a vaccine is indicative of who you are as a human for the last 40 years of your life, but we do it. And then we do it with such aggression and we do it with such force that we need to step back and just realize that although our brains want us to do this, we have the higher power to say, we don't have to over-identify ourselves or other people in one way. And, you know, in a sense, it's almost an intra boundary where we're like, I'm setting a boundary with myself that I'm not going to over categorize people out of laziness or mm-hmm. out of emotion. Yeah. My intra boundary, my inter- my internal boundary is that I'm going to step back and be really thoughtful about how I categorize people mm-hmm. at dinner, mm-hmm. <laughs> at Thanksgiving mm-hmm. so that then I can, you know, maybe influence my family. Maybe I can lead by example. Maybe I can be the softer, the softer person at that table or something mm-hmm. like that. So as a therapist, I guess the way that I try to set my own boundaries is that like, I take what I know and then I do it inside my head and I kind of hold myself accountable for it. And then I have more of an enjoyable Thanksgiving. Maybe I'm, you know, softening the edges of other people and I'm doing all of this without a family intervention of boundaries. You know, I'm not sitting everyone around in a circle and being like, okay, (laughs) this Thanksgiving, these are items we are not allowed to talk about. These are items we are going to talk about because that would obviously be a very aggressive way to set boundaries. So I'm just like taking what you're saying and thinking about how in of ourselves, like if that's our rules of operation for ourselves, Mm -hmm. those are also boundaries within ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. I also think taking into consideration, I mean, everybody lives in their pocket, right? Like everybody, like, you know, I mean, I'm in, I'm in urban Chicago. So we're like, we're talking about most people here are not anti-vax. So, so I do think that when somebody comes in and this is just the example we're using, but somebody comes in who might be anti-vax, I think immediately, sometimes those people are on the defensive because they're in the minority, right? So immediately there's already kind of an emotion happening. And so I think the more that we can control our own emotions, like you said, around some of these topics, it kind of eases other people around us also, because I think people are very, very heightened. And the more that we can practice some flexibility in our brains, right? So that we're not being so concrete, which is what you were talking about, right? We categorize things and we put things into boxes because the concreteness makes us less anxious, right? And it makes meaning out of our world. And if we can have some perspective taking, or if we can, you know, kind of hover above the room instead of sitting in it and in the emotions of it, you know, and kind of watch it from afar, we get, we get a much better result out of other people, but we also aren't so reactive and we end up having a much better time in that, you know, in that space. Yeah. Brene Brown, Brene Brown calls it that, you know, you can be on the dance floor and like get into the nitty gritty details, but then you can also join people on the balcony and, and look down and not that you're judging and casting down, but you're doing both. You're kind of, you know, a nice party is when you're on the dance floor yourself, you know, in the details and in the movement, but then you also take a break and get to perspective take and be like, wow, this is really great. Like this is working well or, Ooh, I'm feeling this way about the situation and kind of stepping back and looking at the higher level that, I mean, that's a great wedding for me, at least like I dance and then I watch and then I dance and I watch, like you take the whole experience in. And so, like you said, the highly emotional opinions and all of that is like, you're on the dance floor, right? You're just grappling with like what's happening in the here and now. Um, and setting that 
setting that boundary to like promise yourself that you're going to step back and watch Mm -hmm. and kind of process that might also just mean like halfway through the event, we take a walk with the dog, we go watch football, we go play with our nieces and our nephews. You know, there's all of those, you know, the balcony can look a lot of different ways. Yeah. 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 And I also think there's heightened emotion for people who have kids also. So for example, you know, like I have, I have kids, so I feel like there are times when I'll hear from other people they don't want their kids exposed to this, or they don't want their kids to listen to so-and-so talk about their opinion on politics or, you know, things like that, COVID, et cetera. And, um, and I try to, I try to have people, you know, cause I think that's another, that's a whole other emotional layer is when you're like trying to protect another, you know, person, you're trying to protect your child from something. And I think, again, it's that flexibility around like, right, but you can remove people from that situation, right? Like if you need to go and take a walk or if you want your kids to join you in another room or something like that, you don't have to sit there and go head to head or, you know, think so concretely about ideas being planted in your, you know, children's brains. There's all of these things that you can do to think outside the box. And it's hard to do that when you're already going in anxious. So I love it when we have these conversations before the holidays, because if you're already going in ready for defending yourself or taking care of an issue, then you're, you're basically heightening yourself up even before getting there. Yeah. And I also, you know, talk about this with my siblings a little bit, which is every era, every generation, every decade, every year, there is a political issue divide Totally. from, from the beginning of time. And we are all in this society and we're all experiencing this. And it's not new. Like when we were kids, we were exposed to these conversations. When our kids are adults, their kids are going to be exposed to these conversations. Pretending that this doesn't exist. And this is just a huge moment in time because it's a pandemic. It's not the first pandemic. So we have to realize that now social media is, I think, you can say one of the, this, it is the first, like it is the first thing that like has not been seen before, but we've been here for centuries. We're going to be here for centuries again. Let's figure out how to do this in a healthy way and kind of lower the, lower the mood and the intensity about it. Sometimes it drives me a little crazy. Like, do you think this is the first pandemic? Do you think this is the first political divide? Do you think that this is the first time where families are at odds with each other? No. Absolutely not. Like let's, let's, you know, get better with this. And honestly, like if you think about it right now, one of the biggest things out there that's new research has to do with exposure of viewpoints, right. And how important that is to be exposed to all of those things. So I do think sometimes there's a, there's a benefit and I'll have conversations with some of my clients, especially those with kids. Like it's okay for, for people to be exposed to other perspectives because of social media we choose who we follow. We choose who follows us. We choose who we're friends with. Most of the people on social media are like-minded with you because you've chosen that, right? So being exposed to alternate viewpoints or other perspectives, or even having your kids exposed to that is not a bad thing. That's what broadens our minds and makes us think even harder about what it is that we believe and why, as opposed to just, let's just do it just because it's in my social media feed, right? So it's really good for the brain to even have that, you know, even at an older age, much less a younger age. So I totally agree with you. All I have to do is sit around and have my dad talk to me about polio. And it's like, I mean, 
you know, that was just a whole other thing that, you know, and for him, he's like, oh yeah, no, we're just back here again. I mean, in his mind, this just feels like normal conversation, you know? And we, you're right. There is a little bit of like softness, dare I say, that has kind of happened over time where we think we all need to be on the same page and believe the same stuff, but then we just all be the same. Yeah. The word tolerance for me is been frequently used. How do we tolerate and accept rather than just agreeing? You do, it's not about agreeing. It's about tolerating and accepting and respecting and managing, managing a lot of people's different opinions. And I've been in rooms with people, whether it be criminal offense, sexual offense, you name it, you know, really considered socially deviant behavior and would be quick to judge quick to assume. Um, and to practice tolerance is possible without agreeing with the behavior. And we have not done that as a society. I think therapists do that because we've been through like years and years and years and years of training, Mm -hmm. but it's not natural. And it's not within our like organic DNA. I think it takes a higher power and a higher level of education and awareness to be like, okay, I don't agree with these behaviors. I don't agree with these opinions and I can be respectful and tolerate the human who is in the room with me because they're not an animal. They're not a piece of dirt. They are, you know, they are flesh and blood. So how do I tolerate and manage my own self with my inter intra boundaries so that we could, we could potentially grow from this. The other person could grow from this. So the word tolerance for me is like very, very important because I believe that that would be the most lacking thing. If I could like put it in a bow, like Mm -hmm. if, if I were to put it in a bow, I would kind of say that tolerance has been completely lacking, um, for a very long time now. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually think that's another great way to reframe things with people who are anxious about dealing with people over the holiday or don't have this skill set or maybe aren't prepared yet to set boundaries, you know, that maybe it's a matter of, okay, so you're not there yet. So then let's look at this as an opportunity to practice tolerance level, right? Let's look at this as an opportunity to build resilience. There's always an opportunity there. So I think even reframing it as you're not just, you're not going to get swallowed up. You're not going to have to, you know, deal with aunt pinching your, you know, love handles or, you know, or anything like that. It's, it's going to be, we're still going to get something out of this. You know what I mean? It's not just like deal with it and move on. It's like, no, dealing with it is a big deal right? So Mm -hmm. let's figure out how to do that. Um, So I think there's lots of good things that can come out of the holidays for people who are anxious about going into them. Yeah. Don't white knuckle your holiday. That would be kind of the title of the show. Don't white knuckle it, (laughs) use it as an opportunity, make sure that you're giving yourself a chance to learn tolerance, to learn patience, to learn understanding and really seeing this other person as flesh and blood and a human figure, not someone who is, you know, anti-vax like Mm -hmm. that's that categorization is Mm -hmm. unhealthy. It's unhelpful. Um, it's lazy language, really, in my Mm -hmm. opinion, it drives me kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. So I feel like before I'm about to fight someone, I should probably (laughs) wrap this show up, but (laughs) Katie, thanks for coming on the show and giving these amazing tips and tricks. I know that people listening is coming in just the nick of time. So if anyone wants to reach out to you or find you, what's a good contact information? Yeah. So my practice is Lincoln Park Psychology. 
we're like right on the border of Lincoln Park and Lakeview area. Our website is lincolnparkpsychology.com. Sounds easy. Our email is lincolnparkpsychology at gmail.com. Also easy. <laughs> so, so that would be a great way to reach out. We have great clinicians who, I mean, right now, this is par for the course as far as conversations. So even if people need quick pep talk into it, you know, we can get that done before the holidays. So if anybody has any questions or needs any extra help, they can definitely reach out to us for it. Awesome. Thank you. And that is another episode of, well, not perfect. Thank you for listening to season two. Make sure you never miss an episode by hitting the subscribe button and consider leaving me a review. And for more information on all things podcast, check us out at Instagram, well, not perfect and DM us any questions you have and content that you'd love to see this season. See you next week.